Um, Sam, I think you've completely changed the way I think about video games. How and did you think about video games? <laughs> I had gotten in my head uh, that video games were made for recreation only. And that if I wanted to be responsible and keep on like working out, reading books and kind of appreciating films in like a deep way that I need to limit how many video games I play mm-hmm. to about an hour a day. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just thought uh, also that was Oksana that walked by back there. She's uh, one of the producers here. And I had been pretty set in my ways. And we have a lot of friends who do. They, I mean, they basically live stream video games all day. Mm-hmm. They play them. And I, I would try and like talk kind of. Um, I don't know how to say this in not a like pretentious way, but like kind of like deeply because I had an experience with Red Dead Redemption <laughs> that made me uh, deeply sad where I thought they had figured out the perfect way to make a sandbox game. And it was, you have to fill up your world with so much shit that you're going to miss most of it. Mm-hmm. And that a player has to kind of authentically stumble through and every little thing will feel unique and important to you. But by that note, you would need a, oh God, four-year production, hundreds of people working on a game. And at the end of the day, you would know that because it's kind of like a rock star product, that nobody would truly appreciate the magic that went into this deeply collaborative art form. And I remember it just messed with me. And I (laughs) wouldn't stop talking about it. I was very late to the game, too. Years after, like where there was kind of, like now, how people play it online a little bit. But I was just rediscovering it. And I'm like, man, I really missed it. And uh, people don't appreciate video games. And then I, I heard a podcast you did. And the way that you talked about Scribblenauts, <laughs> Metro- Metroid Prime, and uh, uh, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, three, games, three games that I would have never thought about again. And I'm like, holy shit. Um, it's incredible. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, your enthusiasm and your insight is so good. But anyway, for people listening, this isn't going to be one of those episodes where I just constantly talk at our guests. I promise you there's a reason we're talking. Um, I can't remember who, but thank you to whoever sent me a uh, cold DM of a game called Immortality. Uh, they did it because they knew I loved found footage horror. And, uh, you know, I get, I get a lot of weird solicited video game trailers. <laughs> And I, I threw that one on and I went, holy shit, this is probably the quintessential found footage thing. I don't know what to call it because it's not really a movie, but it's definitely in the film world. And I don't know how to properly present or describe a game like Immortality without giving away something that maybe I shouldn't. So um, if you could set that up, Sam, that would be great. Also, Sam, welcome. Yeah, hi. <laughs> Thanks for coming. I, I'm just gonna sit and listen. This is it. Sat, yeah, that yeah, sounded that was, like me. That was only a Metroid, Zelda, some scribble notes. Sam, you'll that was get definitely it. me. You heard. When we're sitting here, you'll see what Clark contributes, and you'll understand why I'm dying to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I, yeah, I'm introing immortality. So yeah, the premise of immortality is uh, there's this actress Marissa Marcel who in 1968 is cast uh, her first role. Uh, She goes on to star in three movies only. 
and none of these three movies is ever released and Marissa Marcel disappears. And the, the premise of the game is you get to explore this, this newly discovered cache of footage of these three lost movies and through searching through and watching them in this interface that's it's kind of like an approximation of an old movieola machine, go through this old film footage and, and try and put the pieces together and answer the question of what happened to Marissa Marcel. And there's some other stuff like it's that's yeah that's I'm I'm like fascinated with this is it's not even it's not really a spoiler but like because it's not like this it's it's not like a kind of M Night thing but I was always fascinated with the way you have to market any story right you know a, a movie or a book or whatever but it's there's this thing you do as a writer where you go away and you sit in a room all on your own. And, and you come up with your story, right? And, and let's say we're just writing a movie. You're like, oh, my my end of the you know, end of Act One twist, so cool. And then what I'm going to do at the end of Act Two? Oh, this is going to blow people's minds. Like, and I've laid this little trap where I'm, uh, you know, my my story structure is impeccable. So slowly, this stuff's going to be revealed. And then, of course, you forget that, like, when the movie's finished, they go make a trailer of it, and they've got to explain it, and you've got to do press tours, so that actually, 99% of people who come to your incredibly constructed story, right? Already know this stuff. And it, and it's not that beautiful, clean version of it. Um, and there's like very few people who, who have the kind of wherewithal to remember that. Uh, and like one of them uh, for me was Hitchcock. Like if you look at, especially when he kind of hit his, his kind of heyday with things like Psycho, where he had so much control over the process. Like he was thinking about, the you know how this would be marketed he was he was doing those kind of custom trailers where he was doing trailers for like the birds and psycho where he didn't even show the movie he just kind of went out in front of the audience and set things up and you look at those movies and and like i I do this mini lecture that i give people about the birds where i talk about how he knows what the audience is expecting when they come in and then the first half hour of that movie is playing against those expectations and and just working the audience up so that when when he starts dropping things into place, the movie starts working. Um, so uh, you know, trying to make something here, uh, and you, on one hand, you're like, I've got to tell people what's in this thing, and I've got to explain everything about it so that they'll be you know want to come buy this video game, and then we can pay everyone. And on the other hand, like when we were testing it. Uh, towards the end, actually, we, we got people into playtest who knew nothing, right? It's just like, hey, will you test this game for us? They're like, okay. And so we'd sit them down and play it. And, and we saw that the kind of organic reaction of, of knowing as little as possible was so good. Uh, it's such like a fun thing to watch. We were like, okay, we can keep this minimal. But I think it's, it's a bit like, um, like a good example was like The Sixth Sense, right? Where there's there's a there's a big twist and there's a big thing to the sixth sense, which is kind of what you if you've seen the movie, that's what you take away from it. But they knew they had a strong enough premise with, oh, it's a kid that can see ghosts, right? That that they could market the movie on that to get people in, and then they could deploy the rest of the stuff. So uh hopefully here we have, yeah, actress disappears films these three movies they're lost movies that's exciting come in figure out what's going on and uh, see what else we have so who do you play as in the game um well this is so uh, the last two games i made um in fact even going back to like when i did some silent hill games um 
I made a mediocre Silent Hill game and a good Silent Hill game. And the the good one, I had uh, a post-it note on my desk. This is pretentious. You, you got pretentious, <laughs> so I can go pretentious. Uh, I had this post-it note on my desk when we were making that that said, the player is not the protagonist. And it was this kind of obsession I had. And I think at the time I was going hard on Hitchcock as well. So this was me thinking about the the kind of the the dumb simplicity of a lot of video games and the kind of pitch of VR of like it's just you, right? It's like you, you're the character. You get to decide what happens. And I'm like, well, that's that's kind of fun on a level, but that's not a story, right? A story has to have a protagonist in it, and things have to happen. And so already with like Shadowed Memories, um, I was kind of thinking about playing with that relationship of like there are elements where when you're playing a video game where you become deeply immersed right and it's almost as if you are directly experiencing things it's just the same with a movie right if you're very into a movie sometimes you are you know living those moments as the protagonist but there's a lot of distance that you get in a traditional video game um and and with shadow memories we tried to play around with some interesting ways in which that combination of the kind of immersion and the distance can can kind of do interesting things and then uh so i've I've made now three very loosely grouped uh non-linear video exploration games this was starting with her story then there was one called telling lies and now immortality um and they're only people kind of see them as a set because they're like oh there's there's not many games that do this therefore these are three of the same game but to me they're like very different um in how they're structured um but we've in each one that we kind of play around differently so, so both her story and telling lies have this sense that there is kind of a, a protagonist whose eyes you're seeing through, and, and you're doing stuff as them. And uh, her story like has uh, a, a cathartic twist in terms of revealing who this protagonist is all along. Telling lies up front, it kind of establishes who that protagonist is, and that actually creates an interesting distancing effect. With immortality. Uh, what we thought was interesting was essentially you are the protagonist, right? This we we kind of dissolved that element of distance in that way. So we just really wanted to feel like uh, I don't know you you have an uncle who works in a movie studio. He's like, hey kid, come in, and he lets you in to the the editing suite where they have an old linear editing machine, and then he brings in a big crate of all this old footage, and he's like look at all this random footage we found from these crazy lost movies, have a look through it. And then you're just there. And and so we wanted it to feel like you're just in this moment, going through this footage, putting all these pieces together. Are you a found footage horror fan? Um, I, 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 I definitely, I'm very interested in found footage. I don't know what const- would a fan footage is it, is it like I like every piece of fan of fan footage horror? No, no, no. Is it and that I I watch every piece that comes out well, and try well, to you're, think? you're clearly a film fan. Yeah. I went do you know what I loved? I mean, this is so don't be rude. This this wasn't necessarily a movie I loved, but I did really appreciate the craft of it. So when we made Telling Lies, uh, which was a game which mostly took place um in, in footage that was recorded via webcams and things. Uh, I loved how they did it in Unfriended. Um, like I, I went and watched a lot of like webcam horror things and just general fan footage things, and and just kept being 
frustrated at how fake it looked. Like the worst is like, you know, I think they still do this now, but like you'll have a, just like a normal sitcom or TV show where somebody will like FaceTime someone else. And it'll be the fakest looking thing, right? They'll oh, just yeah. be playing on on the computer screen, whatever the actual movie camera is or whatever. And the, the way you use it, it, it's so wrong. Um, but I loved what I saw in Unfriended. And we actually spoke to some people that worked on it and were like, hey, what did you guys do? Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, we shot the whole movie as like a two-hour play, right? And we had everything set up so that everybody was in the same building, wired up. So everyone was was genuinely Skyping each other as it was all happening. And so just the little things of like the body language, the eyes, that that was all kind of nice and organic. Um, so I, I mean I love I love I love things that play with you know perspective and, and have those framing devices. And I think like the cool thing with found footage is the the cheapness, right? The the simplicity and the cheapness, those constraints instantly force you to have to be clever. Um, I get, I definitely get annoyed. Uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to call out movies that I thought were bad because it's rude, but like, I oh, please the, that, interesting. That, <laughs> that whole thing. Well, like I love, um, so generally I absolutely love everything that Ty West does. Um, I haven't seen the two new ones, which is he's on like this ridiculous streak right now of like, just, just throwing movies out there and you're like, what? I haven't watched. There's a new. There's a new movie out. Um, but and, and more, well, that's all we need. More Ty West love on this yeah. show. So I mean, like House of the Devil, Innkeepers uh, was was a huge fan. Um, but he did one. Um, I'm guessing it was during the time period where fan footage was big, and so it was probably like if you were trying to get funding for a horror movie, people were like, hey, can you do us a fan footage? But he did. He did one that was like essentially the Jonestown, yeah, setup, the sacrament. Yeah, and it and it kind of was like I was waiting for like where does this not be the Jonestown? But there's a couple of sequences in that where I was like, this guy would have dropped the camera an hour ago. Like, <laughs> like he's 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 being chased through the forest. People are shooting at him with guns, and he's still there, like holding onto this thing. So I'm always like very, yeah. I'm like if you can, if you can justify this setup right if you can give yourself those constraints where it makes sense that these people are recording things then naturally kind of interesting things fall out and i love it if there's if there's some kind of sleight of hand or something clever going on uh you know i mean my favorite this is not really it's not really fan footage but it's close but like my favorite lynch movie is inland empire okay Um, and like some of the 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 texture that he gets in that from the you know, from the freedom of him playing around with the video and stuff is kind of fun. It's our uh, engineer's favorite Easter movie too. Yeah. That's how we <laughs> celebrated this fun. year. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I asked about found footage because again, um, you've always kind of been tangentially on my radar, like Sam Barlow. I think I became familiar with your name when I found a game that now I think might be a copycat, which now in the found footage world, there's a, uh, recently even more popular film called Megan is Missing that is kind of mm. a very immersive film about a couple of girls who end up abducted. And it's kind of a, a bleak tale about, like, watch your children. And uh, it became a TikTok challenge. Like, a lot of little kids were, like, challenging each other to watch it, and it got super oh, wow. popular. But then there was another game, or there was a game that came out called uh, Sarah is Missing, which is one of the I think there are many now of the lost phone game. Mm-hmm. And, and as a found footage fan, 
like, so we started a film fest and we talk a lot. Our film fest is only found footage. And we really, I don't know, like you said, well, indie is kind of what we gravitate to. Because, you know, when you don't have a lot of money, you kind of have to rely on ideas and good storytelling. And found footage creates a completely different kind of narrative in cinema that um, the better term we found is in-world camera. And it, mm-hmm. it kind of ties together mockumentary, like everything from Spinal Tap to Blair Witch. And what they have in common is that the movie is made by the characters, which is similar to Sarah is Missing, kind of. Now, I, to, I've talked about that game before. It's, it's incredible because the idea is like you find a phone and it transforms your phone into that phone. The problem is narratively, it's too open because on a phone you can get on the Internet. Mm-hmm. So in this one, it's like, oh, hey, here's a friendly AI that's got a personality. And the game is incredibly linear. But the idea that now I'm holding the artifact was so incredible. And I think with found footage, the goal is like, hey, if you went to Goodwill and you bought a blank VHS tape and it turned out to be a snuff film, that would be found footage. Like I found this thing. I don't know where it came from my interaction with this video is like foreign. Like it didn't go through a studio or maybe it did, but I don't know. I don't know who I can talk to about it. It's very personal. And when I saw immortality, I'm like, dude, you, you nailed it because you've um, now I'm not familiar with the machines. What is, it's a moviola. Yeah. Like the old, I Google these things. They look gorgeous. Right. But it's, I did. it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah, it's like, I guess it's the machine everyone used before they got slightly cooler linear editing bets. Um, but yeah, they're just, they're fun. Yeah. And so what I love is that I, I got the game, um, on Xbox because I'm not a PC gamer. I've always liked, uh, I'm not a huge fan of online gaming. I'd like to have my friends over and do it all in room, just mm-hmm. like with movies. I like to watch a movie with people in the room so we can talk about it after. And um, one of the cool things about immortality is, you know, I kind of threw you a trick question with who are we playing as, because there isn't really a character. And what I always imagined was similar to what you said. It's almost like your uncle works at a theater and he lets you in downstairs with a, a box of film and says, hey, play around. These all are related through an actress that went missing. I don't know. There's some fun lore. And you literally are just digging through clips of late night shows three different movies it's a fucking cool uncle i yeah i know and, <laughs> but here's the thing thinking about why in world camera versus like a studio system movie are different like hitchcock like the birds mm-hmm. it's just the the story being told is so it can be affected by every camera movement like if there's a girl topless on screen like say we're in a strip club and uh oh, somebody sneaks a camera or you've never been i've never been to one and there's a topless girl on, and she's dancing, right? And we're zooming in. This is very typical, like, male gaze. Well, shit. you know a lot about strip clubs <laughs> for someone who's never been in a strip club. I watch a lot of HBO mm-hmm. and they love to That's drop fair. those in. And, um, and our camera. So you get your exposition. You get your best exposition. It is, yeah, it's yeah. true. Because you got something to look at while people are unveiling the plot in a very clunky way. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if our camera pulls back and the dialogue doesn't cut, but we pan to somebody who just walked in. This informs us on the camera person because they're actually a character in the movie. And you can learn a lot that is unspoken. And me, as a pretentious film fan, I like to yell at people who uh, watch movies while making uh, their dinner in the next room and don't miss a beat because that's, that's how dialed in movies are now. 
And with yours, it's like I almost got anxiety because I didn't I didn't know if I was playing the game correctly. And I was sitting there with Oksana and I'm kind of like, OK, I guess I'll just keep going. But you're you literally become kind of like an editor. And I think at the end of the day with in-world camera, the editor is the true like auteur. Like it's not the director. And we've talked to so many filmmakers in here. And a lot of them say, we don't know what movie we're going to make. We just shot everything and mm -hmm. made it in post. And I'm like, there's something that isn't exactly what you're doing there. But because you're, you're not quite an editor making a movie, but you're like a modern person. It's almost like you're like a vlogger dissecting three different movies and cutting together your own narrative. I yeah, know. I mean, it's yeah, it's taking. I always try and rationalize these things of like taking just how obsessive we are now or not how obsessive we can be now and, and kind of weaponizing that, right. Making that the experience. And I think you're talking about like the, the role of the editor. Like for me, when I started, when I did her story, I was more conscious of thinking about how I write stories and like the moment when I'm in the middle of writing a story, so it's not linear at this point because there's stuff, the scenes and it's all floating around and the characters are speaking to me and I'm like, should I move this around? Should I put this thing here? And a lot of what these games are trying to do is bring the audience into that fun moment where you're right in the midst of the story and it's all around you. And so it still feels kind of exploratory, right? There's... There's, there's something about that and your imagination is doing a lot of the pulling together and putting together the pieces. And so it's very different from, you know, being sat in a seat and having the story given to you in 90 minutes and, and kind of fed to you. And I think you're right in that there's some commonality with fan footage where you're often, I mean, depending on the, the specific use of it, like there's an element of, it's a bit like going to see, there's a difference between watching a movie and going to the theater where you can sit and, and look at whatever you want to look at when you're in the theater, right? I mean, there's a stage, so it's limited unless you're doing like, you know, some immersive theater thing, but <laughs> you have an ability to look at stuff. And what I love about the theater is the actors never turn it off, right? When, when you're shooting a normal movie, they come in and we're doing this shot and maybe maybe the other actors off camera reading for reference, but they're not like, they're not present as the character necessarily all the time. So everything's kind of broken down. But I love if I'm in the theater and someone's talking and they have like this trick in their theater, right, where the, the person who you're supposed to be looking at will be allowed to move their hands or whatever and everyone else tries not to because it, it helps direct where you're supposed to look at. But like I will love to look at the actor over here who is just reacting, has just stood there and just, you know, absorb what is going on in that character's mind and – I think like once once you get to the fan footage, especially when it's it's like fan footage where there aren't camera cuts, like you're saying, there is like a consistent kind of character to the camera. Then you get you it, you know the pacing unwinds a little bit, and you get this ability to actually concentrate where you're interested in concentrating, right? And um, look around. When we did Telling Lies, which was you know literal uh, kind of webcam fan footage. Uh, the screenplay I sent out to the actors had on the front page, uh, again, being pretentious, uh, it said an anti-movie. Because I was like, I want you to understand that like this is this is the opposite to how a movie works. We're not going to go to, we're not going to create your performance in the editing room, right? Like we're going to capture what, whatever you do is 
we'll get. And and the dialogue was written in a way that unspooled was more kind of organic and less, you know, it wasn't like bam, 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 bam. You get like a, a kind of normal movie. Um, so I think there's definitely, for me, I get very interested when your role as, as the viewer is to pay a little bit more attention, be a little more obsessive. I mean, on a really basic level, making these things, you know, people ask me, why don't you just make a movie? Why is this a video game? Why do you have to do these things? And like the, a, a real cheap thing right now is that if someone's playing a video game, they have to pay attention. <laughs> if you make a Netflix show, uh, I was, in fact, today I was reading, there was yep. a fantastic, uh, I guess it was a fairly old article, Bernard Rose, the guy who directed Candyman, Oh yeah, uh, was talking about Nick Rogue, uh, and and in the course of this article, he was attacking modern television, and he was going even Breaking Bad, even and he was like he was coming, he was taking their prisoners. He was like these shows have to be designed so that if you are cooking your dinner whilst the show's on, if you are checking your phone whilst it's on, it still makes sense. So things have to be spoken out in the dialogue. Things have to be kind of you know spelt out verbally, audibly, like. In I'm ways where he's like, you now. <laughs> right. Where he's like, you know, you go watch a classic old Nick Rowe movie. And if you're not looking at the screen, you will not know. You're just not getting it. Right. And there's something about the relationship I get with people playing my games is there's an agreement. When you pay the money and sit down to play a video game, you're like, okay, I'm now going to sit and play a video game. I'm pick up the controller. And if they're not pressing the X button or whatever, nothing's happening. So it's, I remember we did, um, I did this uh, small little interactive TV pilot thing a while back that was an experiment. Um, we did this thing that's like a, a reboot of the movie War Games. And they got a bunch of teenagers in to come test it. And, you know, they all played it and then did interviews afterwards. And consistently when asked was like, what was the cool thing about this interactive TV show you just watched? They all said, this is the first time where I've like had to concentrate on a show <laughs> because I was having to click on things and look at it. They were like, I was having to like concentrate a hundred percent. And they were like, this is a new experience for me. Like, I don't know. This isn't how I normally watch TV shows, right? I'll, you know, there's other stuff going on and I just kind of absorb it. So they were like, wow, like I'm getting something out of the fact that I'm having to concentrate. Uh, so yeah, that's like a cheap, a cheap win, but you know, a lot of what I think about is like, if, if you do have this setup where you are asking people to pay attention and be involved, like you've got to do something with that, right? And you've, you've got to give them the freedom and, and you've got to give them the, the, the layers of stuff to think about that will make that inherently rewarding. Yeah, okay. That's one side of the coin here, Sam, but let's look at the other. What you've done is that you've taken one of, uh, you know, humanity's favorite pastimes, all right, <laughs> video games and escape. And what you've done, Sam, is that you've turned it into a homework. That's what you've done. Now you've turned it into a homework assignment of editing footage of a woman that may or may not exist. <laughs> Sam, yeah, I, I mean, I understand. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm a millennial. You know, um, I, I'm a, I, I self-identify as uh, Generation Z. But, you know, I'm a millennial. We got the, the what's under us? Z? Yeah. Z and then what's under them? I don't know. Babies? Alpha. Yeah. Al I, I, I was told all my kids, Generation Alpha. Generation was, Alpha? I think they came up with that one themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm Gen X. That is the coolest. Like, Gen X, that's just, 
That's great. Like X, that's awesome. <laughs> see, that's see, that's that's what Gen X thinks. That's the my kids keep trying to call me a baby boomer, and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, no, no, no. Baby boomers is like they're just like boomer. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, that's that was before. That is true. They want they want to use that boomer as an umbrella. And just put everybody <laughs> under that bro- yeah, boomer. I'm like, no, nah, Gen X. We were cool. We were nihilistic. We had nothing. We didn't care about anything. We just listened to industrial music. Like, it was, you know. You, you know what's funny? You you riffing on making video games homework. The only thing I could think of was Mist, which honestly now I feel has had a huge renaissance. Like people are going back and kind of like rediscovering that game. Because I know it's people a love to bring it up. Yeah, it's, I it's I've always never played the one. It. Like I played it, but I didn't play it. I put it on, and I remember all the discs, and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I never touched it again. I mean, it was it was for the longest time. I think The Sims beat it up until The Sims. It was the biggest selling video game of all time. But but what as a, as someone that makes video games, you know that that means that X million people put the disc in, played it for five minutes, yeah. and went oh, what. <laughs> but there's the hardcore that won it. The second one, the sequel to Mist, Riven, uh, is fantastic. That's genuinely a masterpiece that kind of holds up. Mist itself is pretty pretty dated. But you're right in that there was the homework aspect. Like those were games that, and I think if there's any commonality and if there's anything that I look at and think, oh, okay. Like they knew that if if they didn't spoon feed you if they went, look, there's this mysterious island, there's a bunch of contraptions on it, that like that was it, right? There was a, a level of kind of mystery and opaqueness to that that to a certain type of player is extremely enticing, right? Because you're like, oh, I, I need to solve this. I need to know yep. what's happening. And the more opaque you are, the more that type of player is going to kind of want to push against it and figure it out. And, you know, I think that or we've seen like in gaming – you know, when I was working more commercial games, just that would be, you know, my my feedback would always be like, don't make it homework, right? This this should just be fun <laughs> and it should be empowering. And imagine that there is a not very bright teenage boy who, who wants to feel good. And so <laughs> you've got to give them some superpowers, like, you know, don't confuse them. That was always, you know, the, the, the way that things were explained. And I always thought it was wrong because even that teenage boy i just think like the 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 modern audience whatever you might think like is in so many ways more educated because they're exposed to so much stuff and so much information and not only that but because they're plugged into the internet they're essentially part of a hive mind right so there's you can kind of give give certain uh, you have certain expectations and you see something like the rise of the dark souls games yeah, you see how like from software that stuff blew up, in and in, in breaking every single design rule, being like this stuff is going to be obtuse and difficult and repetitive and frustrating, and we're going to not tell people what to do or how to win this thing. We're not going to tell them how this weapon system works. And there's going to be quests where you have to do the most obscure things. That the only way anyone will know how to do this is because hundreds of people came together on a website and shared tips and, you know, incrementally worked together. And suddenly, you know, those, you know, they found their audience and that audience has now become huge, right? Like Elden Ring did 16 million units or something. 
So, you know, I think there's something about <laughs> homework being a, a fun recreation, right? If you want to go work out, you want to have a workout where <laughs> sure. you, you finish it with your muscles feeling something. So, you know, I think there's, and, and I think maybe in this, this world where we're so saturated with content, like it's just, just obscene now, just how yeah. many books, yep. comics, shows there are. How do you pick something, right? I think it's it's at a point where you can have something that is more demanding or, or asks more or is slightly more eccentric or interesting. And I think you are going to get people gravitating towards that because it, it is different, right? Or it gives them a flavor um, that they're not necessarily getting from all the other stuff. So Sam, as a, do you, can do you prefer game director, developer? What, what would you title yourself as? Czar. <laughs> uh, what do I, I usually go with game director and, but I think that dates back to, um, just the difficulty when I started out, if you wanted to tell a story in a video game, if you were the writer or, or anything like that, or the designer, you would not really get a say. Like if you were the writer, then, hey, you're going to get to write the dialogue for the monsters or whatever. And the the way it worked out was the only people who were getting to both write the story and essentially design the game to better tell the story. Right? Like if you wanted to do game mechanics that supported your narrative and have it all actually be cohesive, then you had to be one of these auteurs. You had to be a, a, a Hideo, Hideo Kojima or a Ken Levine. You had to be the director of mm-hmm. this thing, right? So there was a point where calling yourself game director was your way of saying, let me let me create something interesting here. Wow. Like just, you know, give me the ability to do that. Um, so that would be, yeah. So you're but, game you know, you can call me anything. Okay, well, I'm I'm curious because, you know, we always deal with film. That's our thing. That's our main um, art of choice. And I and learned, NFTs. And NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've learned to almost, like the internet's almost become an adversary. Like it's great for discovering, especially when dealing with like found footage because it's such an indie micro budget market. But man, I've, I mean, I call people who do their whole YouTube channel on, you know, um, Ty West Explained. And they try and oh, go through every dude. single frame and explain everything. I almost I refer to that as like unraveling the the enigma. Like I I don't like it because I feel like when audiences kind of get a closure deemed by somebody online to be the mm. the definitive word on the shining, that they kind of like tuck that book away now forever. Yeah, that's I I hate that. I I genuinely and no, no offense to anyone that makes explainer videos. <laughs> no, I hate but you too. I genuinely hate explainer videos. And well, no, I bring that I up. Th- and I, and I think it's, and I think partly because sometimes they're explaining things that can't be explained. Yep. Yep. Sure. shouldn't. And I think, like, I mean, what you said there is exactly for me. If I look at like what are the books, movies, games, whatever that I love, and and still remember, right? Like, you can sometimes you'll you'll read a thing or you'll watch a thing, and you'd be like, this was amazing incredible and then a year later you'll be like what was that thing but the ones that i remember are the ones that you can't neatly put a bow around it and be like done yep so if you can finish your if you can finish your movie on 
maybe you can resolve the A plot so we feel happy. But like, if you can give give me a B plot, like I think the ultimate one uh, is the verdict, um, where you you kind of have uh, redemption arc of uh, Paul Newman's lawyer has this beautiful redemption arc. He he starts as a kind of down and out alcoholic guy who's, who's abandoned his morals and he finishes it. He, he, he wins the verdict in this case. He's stopped drinking. He's redeemed himself. So you kind of got that cathartic win. Um, but they have this subplot throughout it of, of his relationship with Charlotte Rampling. And at the very end of the movie, like they do a bunch of cute movie things. So he, you see him drinking his cup of coffee. So again, it's not over explaining it. I mean, it's, it's obvious, but he's drinking his cup of coffee. He's not drinking whiskey. Right. So it's saying like this problem has, is under control and his desk is looking clean and tidy and stuff. So you get like, he's in a better place. And then the phone rings, his phone rings. And it's a beautiful little piece of movie making. Cause it cuts to it's Charlotte Rampling in her hotel bed. So she's the one that's ringing him. So you know who it is. Cuts back to him. Obviously, he doesn't know. They didn't have caller ID in the <laughs> 70s, whatever. But he knows, knows, right? Like on a spiritual level, he knows it's Charlotte Rampling. And he looks at the phone ringing. Can't, maybe it only does it once. Can't remember if it cuts back again. But you're waiting. like, And she's betrayed him in the story. So at this point, it's it's very up in the air if this, this romantic thread will continue. Uh, phone rings. Is he going to answer it? Is he not? And then doom, movie ends. Cut. And so you've got this little bit where you're like, oh, is is he going to pick it up? Uh, I don't think he does. Like, it's just still alive, right? The characters are still living in your head. And obviously you can do much more deeper mysteries and stuff that aren't resolved. But, you know, for me, like, why? Like, the minute you cloak and the minute you resolve and tick everything off, it's done. It's your list. You've ticked your list off and you file it away. It's And, yeah, explainer videos... I mean, the tone of explainer videos kind of irks me where it's like, here is the definitive, like, you might not be clever enough to have understood this thing, but I'm going to sit you down, take you beat by beat and explain to you what David Lynch's Mulholland Drive means. That is the the dry, icy peak of stupidity. I, yeah. Well, I think it's also like misguiding people because people looking to those videos are... We're just soaked in their ignorance. Well, I think it's a lot of uh, kids who watch, like, you know, they sneak into Midsommar and they're like, what did I just watch? And then they <laughs> oh. go and they find a, like, 22-year-old who's... Midsommar's like, a perfect one. But, yeah, and it's there's an opportunity there to kind of have a conversation with somebody. And why be like, did he put a bear costume on? And my answer would be, why do you think he put a bear costume? You know, like, but I think, I mean, I, I, there's a, I mean, I guess there's a reason these things exist. And, and, and I think it's close to what you're saying of like, if I see a, a cool movie, read a cool book or whatever, I want to go talk to people about it. Yep. Right. And I want to, you know, try and wrestle with what I'm thinking about it. And I feel like the explainer video is, 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 is this kind of beacon it's, it's the 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 light bulb to the moth of being like hey all, all these interesting questions you have like this is this is the one-stop shop but yep. i don't know every time i watch one of those things i'm always like oh, oh i th- i thought you were gonna ex- give me some deeper understanding <laughs> of it you just you basically just i got that like you know i understood that he was dead i understood that this but like that's Where's, where's the rest of it? 
but yeah, a lot of times, and I remember, I mean, this goes back to uh, Twin Peaks. I remember when Twin Peaks aired, I think I was slightly too young to be watching it, but I remember our babysitter <laughs> let us watch it. Um, and Ooh, babysitter, and, yeah. And everyone in the school was talking about it, like it was, which is, you know, it was, it was the weirdest thing, right? The Twin Peaks blew up. <laughs> for the, all the wrong reasons. And, and then they're like, Hey, David Lynch, keep this thing going. And he's like, I don't know. But yeah. <laughs> I remember there was a kid in our school and he had got some magazine or something that was like it, it, Twin Peaks explained. Oh. And the Twin Peaks is, is extra interesting as well, because you kind of have like the Mark Frost side, which maybe can be explained. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause he has his schematics and he has it all planned. And then you have the David Lynch side, which absolutely should not be explained. Um, but like this kid would come in and be like oh it's it's all it's a ufo and that's what's done this and explains this and this is why this person did this thing and they would basically turn you know even if people i think you know the the larger love of twin peaks what you know it's not like everybody suddenly dug david lynch i feel like there was an element to it of of like a TV show that had that soap opera with a bit of darkness with the long form storytelling, I think. And, and, and it was a beautiful visual piece. I think, you know, everyone was gorgeous in Twin Peaks, right? I think that caught everyone's attention, but to have this kid come into the playground and reduce those, some of those things that you couldn't process, right. In Twin Peaks, just like the, just magnificence of like Bob and, and, and just <laughs> yep. some of those little moments where you're like, like to attempt to explain that, stuff is to kill it like it's to just 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 bash it on the head and it's so that that started a lifelong dislike of spoiler of <laughs> explainer videos um but yeah i think it, it's weird because it's so adjacent to a thing that i think is wonderful which is discussing yeah discussing things and and, and having opinions and like the the most fun for me we didn't do it for immortality because of covid but with the previous games we would do uh, like focus tests. You'd get people in, they would play, play the games for like three hours, three, four hours. And then, um, well, the cheat would be, the cheat was that, so at the end of the, the session, people would sit and you ask them to fill in a form and they'd have to write like a couple of paragraphs, to ex- describe the story in your own words, whatever. And then you would let everyone sit and they would sit around in a circle and you'd, the moderator would kind of kick things off, but then the people would start discussing their, interpretations or opinions and and because of the way my games work often it'd be like oh well i saw this thing and it meant this and someone else would be like i never saw that oh my god and just watching the people discuss it was always really fun the trick was that the most interesting discussion would be at lunch you would deliberately set it up so that they would have a lunch and you could just kind of listen in as these people were all kind of casually over lunch being like talking about the game they just played. All right. You said casually listen in, but for some reason I imagine they're in a room with nothing on the walls, but two way mirrors and you have cameras up in the corners or was this like a cafeteria type thing and you're at the next table? Yeah, this was, yeah, this was a cafeteria type thing. Okay. I've done the, I've done the one way mirror focus groups oh. when I was working on the bigger games, but they, and that's a whole other story. Um, <laughs> you know, I, Man, there's so much I want to talk about, but just because we're right here, why did you transition from like AAA to indie? I mean, it was uh, it was less of a it, let's, yeah, let's call it a transition. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing, right? So when I made so I made Silent Hill: Shadow Memories, and because of a, a 
a whole bunch of random reasons and things allowed me to make that game and and you know just you know there was there was no conscious effort by me of like hey i love this stuff i'm gonna find a way to work on some find a way to make psychological horror games a whole bunch of people had to screw up before i got that chance and but with shattered memories uh i got a six-month period so so back then and probably still to this day like if you sign a big video game if you're making a big video game uh no one's paying you to write a screenplay right like it's, okay. it's not like in movies you're probably writing like a one pager or a 10 page pitch or you're putting together some whiz bang kind of little video or something but once the the thing starts the company is incentivized to ramp up as quickly as possible and so you'll suddenly go from from nothing to having a team of 100 people and so the animators are starting to animate things and the combat designers are creating combat systems and the level designers are boxing things out and everyone's working right and as a as a game director you're having to try and keep everyone going in the same direction and as if you're writing the story as well as i would have been um you know you're, you're trying to write this story whilst all this other stuff's happening somehow with shattered memories there was some weird contract stuff that meant that i basically had six months without any team where i got to just sit and i designed and wrote that game out and planned it all and was like this is why this should happen and got like a good kind of run at it uh, but that was the game where i was like okay this is me coming in and having ideas about how to tell stories and and getting a chance to actually have a pretty good stab at it and and this was like a time in video games where i think like bioshock had come out and people were sort of going well oh video games can tell interesting grown-up stories right and it felt like we were going to end up in a situation a bit like movies where publishers would ensure they had a couple of like prestige titles right which in in the video game context would be oh a single player story driven game right that people can point to and be like yes video games are art because they have stories and characters and yeah but rapidly like i mean almost as soon as bioshock came out i feel like the industry shifted away from that and uh we had things like you know mobile gaming blew up the people putting the money in were like so wait a minute they made this crappy little mobile game <laughs> and it's bringing in a billion dollars yeah a year and and you're asking us to go spend 50 million dollars to make a single player story driven game which maybe will double its money right you know so it it started getting very kind of difficult and so after shadow memories uh i was directing a reboot of legacy of kane soul reaver uh did that for three years um did a lot of work <laughs> a lot of things uh that was going to be a very cool dark story um and after three years it got cancelled oh all sorts of reasons but you know it it felt at that time like the whole project had been a struggle because it was at this point in the industry where, yeah, they were making less and less of these single player story driven things. Every game had to have multiplayer in it. They were looking, we were like just about to jump to the new generation of consoles. Um, and they weren't sure if, you know, if people were going to buy all these machines and games were getting more and more expensive. So the publishers were kind of terrified. Um, and we were making, and we had like from day one, 
being like, we're going to try and make something that's true to Legacy of Kane, right? So tradition of Legacy of Kane were these very niche games that, that were respected for their dark storytelling and kind of Zelda-ish gameplay. All of the games had struggled and and almost been cancelled or, or like had to do weird things to ship. And we came along and we were like, we're going to make one of these, but we, we have to be authentic to what these games are good at, right? Like this has to be this atmospheric, desolate, lonely, sad game with really interesting storytelling. And the publisher initially was always like, yeah, that's why we hired you. That's what Legacy of Kane is. And they did all the focus tests, right? And the focus test people were like, we don't want a multiplayer game. We want <laughs> Legacy of Kane. So we were like, we're doing the right thing. But you, you started to notice in kind of green light meetings, the execs, especially the higher up the chain you went, would be, you know, asking questions and saying things where they'd be like, hey, this opening 30 minutes where you do this really cool, interesting storytelling and do these clever things, Sam, that have been inspired by Hitchcock's The Birds because you told us that. <laughs> They're like, we love all this stuff. This is really cool. I like that you don't let people fight for 40 minutes because you want it to be earned and for it to feel and, and mean something, Sam. But for now, how about <laughs> for this E3 demo, we just cut out that opening and get straight to the fight. Yeah, we'll put it. We'll definitely put it back in. Definitely going to put it back in. So we remove all that, and they're like, "Wouldn't it be cool? Like this bit where you're running across the 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 wilderness, but the empty, desolate, lonely wilderness. Yes, that one. Wouldn't it be cool if, as you were doing that, <laughs> something cool happened, like in those Uncharted games?" They're like, oh, look, you have this, this aqueduct. And we're like, yeah, there's this cool crumbling old aqueduct. They're like, what if you were running along that? And as you ran along that, an airship started shooting it and exploded. And you had to run as the whole thing was like, and then you jump off and fight people. And, the, and we're like, well, I mean, <laughs> that's not really supposed to happen. Like, there's a bit much, much later on in the story where it, something an airship does turn up, but it's not like that. And they're like, yeah, well, just for now, just for this demo, if you could put that in. And we, yeah, kept getting asked to do stuff like that. Um, so that when that game got cancelled, and we've been working on it three years, uh, I'd spent, a, I think the last of those three years, we'd been doing all the performance capture. So I'd been working with these incredible actors, putting stuff together. That got cancelled. Uh, I, I continued working, and we were pitching projects and doing things, and it just became additionally obvious that like like only a few years previous I'd been like cool I, I made Shadow Memories this is my career trajectory I'm going to get to keep making these cool expensive story driven things and then just a few years later it's like oh shit like unless it's Naughty Dog get to make one of these you know every few years uh, Ubisoft put out it, even now like the Ubisoft games are less and less that yeah. you know they're more of these big open world things uh, you know, David Cage will probably get paid by Sony to make one of these things every few years. There just aren't, you know, the struggle I'm going to have to make to get the chance to make these things will be huge. And I was increasingly noticing and becoming jealous of like indie game devs. And like all my reservations were like, if I go indie, how will I tell the kinds of stories I want to tell? Because they're expensive, right? I'm not going to have $10 million to spend on motion capture. Um, but I was seeing people like, I loved um, Simigo, the company called Simigo, which is two guys uh, made this game, Year Walk, which was this creepy, wonderful phone game. 
had some fantastic kind of found footage adjacent elements towards the end. Um, and I was like, oh shit, like two guys made that and it didn't feel like a compromise. I kept like having game ideas where I'd be like, oh, I guess if I went indie, I could make something and make a kind of, you know, spooky lo-fi horror thing. But every time I had an idea, I was like, but the truth is if I had $20 million to spend, I could make a better version of that idea. So it's going to kill me to go and make the, the, the crap version of it. Um, but you know, when I saw stuff like year walk, I was like, well, actually that does feel like the best version of that game. feels like the fullest expression of that idea. Um, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to, it's, it's actually less risky at this point to go indie and, and take a chance and, and jump into this world where you can distribute and self publish your games and things that it would be to just kind of waste a few more years of my life, like begging publishers to let me make stuff. Um, and that was, and then I went and made her story, which was me attempting to do as many of the things that people wouldn't let me do when they were making the decisions. Um, so Seth, that was the first juncture in your, in your career that you had gone independent. You had always worked your way up through the uh, AAA scene. Yes. Yeah, so I went away and I was, I had always pitched people like a kind of murder mystery thriller thing um, with the bigger publishers and, and they'd always kind of come back and be like, we get it, Sam. In every other medium, these genres are huge, right? They're evergreen, right? If you have a TV station, you're going to have a cop show. You're going to have a murder mystery thing. If you movie studio, well, you're going to have a serial killer film or a, you know, a, a thriller. But But these just don't work in games, right? It's, it's not a genre that makes sense in video games. And so I was like, I'm go- I want to go and make something that is this police procedural kind of murder mystery thing. And I wanted to do a bunch of things with the storytelling where uh, I had lots of arguments on Legacy of Cain <laughs> about subtext. Um, <laughs> Why they're not being which- on subtext in Legacy of Cain? Well, the issue would always be we'd, we'd like have these scripts. I was working with this fantastic writer um, and uh, we, there was this one producer who would say, why does the character not just say what they're thinking? <laughs> and we'd be like, you're not really supposed to do that. That's like, that's not how writing works. And they were like, okay, I get it. Like if this was a movie, sure. But A, like it's motion capture. So we're not getting all of the, the expression and B, it's a video game. So you got to like, again, you got to like talk down to people. You got to over explain it. Like if, if someone's confused in a movie, fine, but if they're confused in a game and they don't know what to do, then that's bad. So I was constantly being told this is a bad idea. So I was like, I want to go make a game that is about subtext. Like that, that's where all the story is, is in the subtext. Um, and, a, and a bunch of other things. So I kind of went away and, as, as well, like a thing I allowed myself was thinking back lovingly to having that freedom on Shadowed Memories to actually think about this stuff before rushing into making the game. It's like, I'm just going to go away and I'm going to research and think about and immerse myself in, in these ideas and like did all, like read all of the training manuals for homicide detectives. The guy, the guy at our local library, my wife would go in on Saturdays and kind of help out at the local library and do like the singing and stuff with the kids. And the guy who ran the library, like took her aside once and was like, sweat, like, 
ask if everything is okay with your husband. Because <laughs> I'd been requesting the, all these police homicide manuals and stuff that you had to order from like the main library in London because they didn't have many copies of them. So I was just going into the library taking out, you know, if, if I was trying to get away with murder, these would be the books that I would be reading. Um, no, Sam, let me part stop of, Hold on, let me stop yeah. you there because you, you mentioned something that I haven't ever really put together. And I think the reason that your games need to be like pushed to the forefront of a found footage film, like audience, the, the, the horror fans is because I think a lot of these in-world camera narratives are also about the subtext. I think it's a lot about like, why was this film made? Like, I mean, think about it in a found footage horror. Half the time you're watching a movie that has been reclaimed by the police. Mm-hmm. So it will open with like a prompt and it will kind of give you a little bit of context just to know what we're jumping into. But pretty much you're you're spending 90 minutes with characters who you know are going to die, which is not a great way to tell a story. And it's but yet we do it. And I think one of the things that captured the imagination of the world with the Blair Witch Project was what the hell did we just watch? And, you know, I'm. I'm working my way very slowly through this academic collection of essays written in 1999 of, of people who were reacting to the Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And somebody had come up with all these rules. They, they said there were three, and I think I agree with them. And they said the difference between this movie and everything else that's been made was the Internet. And the reason the Internet mm-hmm. is important is because it allows the audience to partake in the movie. And they said there are three things you have to do to get the internet to do this for you. One was you give your audience agency, which the website had a lot of extra footage and extra information that you couldn't find in the movie. So if you took the initiative and went online, you could learn more. You could watch a whole nother documentary. I think there were two made as like supplementary material for that movie. Another was you give uh, your audience the ability to transform and play a a role. So ultimately we're turning into like a detective and we're looking further. We're gathering more evidence. And um, the other was just immersion. Like when you walk away from the movie and then jump back into the lore, it's like a whole nother kind of like, I don't know, like a fourth dimension or something. And I think your games really illustrated like found footage audiences like the subtext we like to think have you ever seen man bites dog yes there's a movie about the villain in that movie is the camera crew and they never know it but we know it and it's like dude you can't be a neutral party when you're filming this dude break in and rape a family like you're complicit yeah you're complicit you're part of this and you you want to yell at him but you know that it's the craft like that's what we're enjoying here and with immortality dude you you've made a love letter to film and i want to let everybody listening know you're probably thinking what i thought at first when you make a video game where it's kind of like an fmv where there's like live like we're watching movies like parts of movies it really all depends on is that shit believable because if you get like uh we live out here in the bay area if you get one of these like startup techie dudes who's just like, yeah, we're going to make a game about movies. And then they try to make a movie. You're going to get idiots like me and Clark here going, that's not a fucking movie. Yeah. You've never seen Truffaut. Yeah, Cause they had a good couple days <laughs> yeah. at Burning Man. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you don't know what a fucking movie you didn't watch the birds. Right. And it, and the thing is your film, uh, it's got, I call it a film. The films in your game 
when when me and Oksana were watching, I'm like, holy shit, this dude's a film fan. And the fact that you made a game where we get to be a type of editor. Also, the thing I pulled from your game is that you were a huge Lynch fan. And uh, I'm glad that came true. And I didn't have to. There's an element to this game. God, that would be I feel like it's such a pleasant discovery when you're playing it that I don't want to mention it. But when uh, when me and Oksana kind of figured it out, it was so fun that I uh, I don't know. Every I really stress that um, I know I know a lot of people listening to the show are found footage fans. You got to jump into all these games. I haven't played her story or telling lies. And um, I, I hate to say that it really took you getting into like film, dealing with film. Because the other two are like security cameras. One of them, Telling Lies, I thought was an incredible way to have um, us portrayed in the game. Because from what I've seen, you have a a pretty blonde girl walk into her apartment. She comes in, sits down at a computer. And much like Unfriended, we're looking at a computer screen the whole time. But we see her reflection in it. So you have like, you have a presence in the world yet you're still interacting with the computer and all of the elements of the game, like volume, uh, brightness, they're on her computer screen. And I love that immersion. So I, I hate to say it, but and I, she's blonde because of Hitchcock, right? Yeah. Cause you're inspired by the ring. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I, I'm, I hate to say it, but I'm glad that you veered away from AAA games and being a director like uh, Kojima. I, I, yeah. We need you. Glad you're not making money anymore. No, because here's, <laughs> here's the thing. I am a dude. I make it to be, I mean, that's that's the reality of video game development. I'm making more money okay. as an independent than than getting that salary with well, no overtime. Didn't win, win. Yeah, for sure. And Fuck them. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I have been living kind of outside. I mean, uh, we, we started doing a regular live stream with our friends who are completely immersed in video game culture. And I was like, we have to do horror. It has to make sense with our very strong brand. And, um, dude, they were bringing me games every week where I'm like, oh, this, these are thoughtful. Like, just the interaction of audience and game. They're getting good. And one of them, um, I had to bring this up. Like, I've, I got kind of into Puppet Combo. And I don't think Puppet Combo is doing anything revolutionary. I think they've really tapped into an aesthetic that works for them. And they've kind of... Are you familiar with Puppet Combo? I'm not. This is not on my radar. Puppet Combo. Okay. You know, you might get a kick out of it. They're straightforward. They're horror games. They got that, like, cat and mouse element. Except that the aesthetic of the game, like, if you go into the menus, you can turn it Mm -hmm. into, like, film grain. You could put VHS, like, burn. Like, so you can kind of, like, filter the game differently. But they're all queued up like slasher movies. So they kind of weaponize all the tropes of these films and then just use them to move the story along. And I think they're doing great. They they feel like kind of like a Patreon-driven company, and um, they kind of drum up fanfare. And I'm like, dude, you have a fantastic name. I'm, do you have any, like, Kickstarter or, like, Patreon? Do you have any, like, crowdfunding support? No. No, this is... I, I do the silly thing where we just spend every penny. I I, man, I gotta tell you, I, I haven't really given much time to like video games, even as a defender of them having always been considered art. Like, I think they're even more collaborative than film and harder to execute. 
because you have all these you're racing against technology every time. So I they kind of scare me in that regard. It's I mean, it's and then conversely, like it's. I mean, there are there are themes in uh, I mean, the name of the game, Immortality, right? Like there is questions of like, why do we do this? What is the point? Right. Are we are we creating things as an immortality project? Will we, you know, if you create a movie, right, or a novel, there's a good chance it may live beyond you, right? And, and you put something into the world. Um, but, you know, if, I mean, even with movies, though, it's like when you see the statistics of like on Netflix, how many movies do they have from pre-2000, then pre-1970, right? Like there are, there are ones that survive, but there is a pretty hardcore culling right? that, yeah. that, that yeah. happens over time of, of any piece of art. Uh, but with games, it's like you can put a game out. So like Silent Hill Shattered Memories uh, has a pretty pretty good cult reputation but to play that game you probably you really need to get yourself a wii console an original wii console and and find a copy of the disc of that game of which there are not many and then you got to sit down and play it and then even then when you look at the graphics and the quality of the character animation and stuff it's like what looked good in this would be 2009 what looks good in 2009 is is now hard to look at right so yeah. you're making a video game it's like your 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 shelf life is uh pretty pretty small um which is yeah so it's i mean the the thing that frustrated me when i was working uh in the more conventional stuff was you know if a modern video game takes three or five years to make now you and it costs you know let's say for one of these bigger games, you know, like 50 to 100 million, say, to get the buy-in, you're pitching people, this game will be a success because it's very similar to the game that was just a success. So you're pointing to the game that's come out and then you're going to spend five years making something that's like that, but slightly different, right? You're going to be like, oh, we're going to do this slightly better. We're going to have, you know, this extra feature, this different weapon or whatever. And then you spend five years working on it and everybody, the the really freaky thing with games is, and it kind of inherits this from tech and business, is it's very siloed and private, right? No one is talking to anyone else as they make their games because you don't. If you're if you're shooting for five years in the future, you don't want someone else to rip yeah. you off and come yeah. out with something, right? So it's very secretive. So like this, the pace of evolution of of improvements is so slow. Because you're you're having to make a thing that's the 1.1 version of the thing that they started on like three years back, and now you're spending three years on it. Like it's just very naturally conservative. And then I think the having now had you know foot in both worlds as well, like the 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 huge difference. Because I think when you talk about the collaborative medium and you talk about movies, I think like games and movies are on a level the most similar to each other because they're very expensive. They require a lot of, of technology and craft and very large teams, high risk, all sorts of stuff coming together. But the thing that's really nice about movies is when you're shooting the movie, like it's a very high stakes, collaborative, creative process, right? When you're on set and you're doing stuff, you're rehearsing or you're setting stuff up. When you're making a video game, 
everybody is doing it together for like three years in an office. And, and so rather than be like a three month shoot with all these incredibly talented people coming together and just kind of making a thing happen, you've got an office job, right? You've got people trying to be creative, but it's an office job with the office politics and with the, all of these other things. So it's like a, it's a, it's a weird place to try and do interesting things. <laughs> and clear, you are too interesting to be stuck in some office job adjacent shit. I, um, Man, we uh, I've been ki- I, we kept you long, and I don't want to let you go, but you got to come back, man. We have to talk to you. I didn't even get to pick your brain about ARGs, and if you've ever like dived oh into those. So I mean, that's a good segue. Um, like I love the idea of ARGs. Love the idea of them. Every time I've tried to get into one, I've been too late. So, so the, the the thing is saturated with with people talking about it as yeah. an ARG, yep. which kills kills the buzz for me. Or like I'm just I, I've been too too dumb to to follow the breadcrumb trail. Or it's like, oh, you need to go and use this phone in Arizona, and I'm like, well, I'm not in Arizona. Like, <laughs> that's too much effort, right? Yeah. And and even like the there's been a there, there was that big EA video game like around the 2000s, and there were a couple. There was a French one uh, about a serial killer forget the name uh, and it came and it was great like it came with a couple of cds and the idea was a serial killer has sent you this package oh. and you had to use the internet and so you know there'd be something about a particular college in the uk and you'd have to go on the internet and google it and you'd find a forum and that would be your next clue but again when i got that game if you google the, the fictional college with the fictional website the first thing that would come up would be game faqs how to beat blah 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 blah. Do this, Google this, right? So, so I definitely like for me, my experience of ARGs was I loved the texture. I loved that excitement of of discovering mysteries of of having the excitement of you know reading between the lines and being like oh and and and, and just the the magic of it, right? Like I think yeah. often when I think about what's exciting about video games, it's always for me magic. It's like there's something magical about me being physically here and i press some buttons or think something and then the 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 story response right there's something about that feedback loop which is kind of magical um and definitely i was conscious when i did like her story and and so her story takes place in this fictional computer desktop it's supposed to be like a shitty 90s computer with this police database on it like what i loved about that was i got to have some of the arg fun like the texture of it, the fact that you were discovering things, like you're saying with the phone games, yeah, uh, discovering things, and, and there was like little details and stuff. It, it had that ARG quality to it, but the assurance was this is self-contained. Like it, it won't break. Mm-hmm. Things won't be able to kind of interfere with this. Like you have everything you need to enjoy fully this experience, like in a self-contained way. And I think that, you know, I think similarly, like you know, again with. with with immortality, like I think there's something to me about telling people I want you to be obsessive and and kind of really get into this thing, but it's it's all here. Like it's this mysterious object, but trust me that like you you know you can dig as deep as you want and and 
the thing will be there. And it will break. You know, I'm sorry. It's so funny. We keep mentioning how like people online just want to like ruin it for you, like get to the end. And when I was looking up interviews that you had done or just like information, people giving kind of like their thoughts on the game, like theories or like getting kind of like poetic with it. The first thing that came up with, uh, I believe it was um, Telling Lies, was a speed run. And I went, wow, I don't know what that even involves because I've never played the game, but I know they didn't get it. Because <laughs> if you're doing that, it is not for you. There's a, there's a, there's a speed run uh, for her story. It's a two-minute speed run. Because oh. <laughs> um, you can – but it's fascinating because – I mean, I think there's a there's a thing in the speedrunning community, I guess, of like, I want to be the number one speedrunner of a game. Oh, if there's a game, not many people have done a speedrun to. Maybe there's a window there. But you see these guys picked up her story, and so with the the gameplay in her story is you're typing words into this police database, and it pulls up transcripts of these videos of this woman being interviewed. So you know, as you play the game, you learn the names of characters and things and phrases and stuff that you can used to seek out deeper secrets so this guy to do the speed run comes up with like the optimal word list oh my that God. is is like short easy to type words that are gonna also unlock enough clips and then uh sits down and it then becomes mavis beacon teaches typing because now the speed run is he's got to type these words boom clip and and the the game only cares that you start in a video, right? So yeah. he will search, start the video, exit. Next one, start. And he's doing this for two minutes with his optimized word list to then hit the credits Jeez. two minutes in. Um, so I, I'm like, they found, <laughs> I mean, it's not the thing, right? It's not, it's not I don't want to tell people how to play my games. Uh, and I enjoy that people have different reactions to them, but certainly that wasn't what was anticipated. <laughs> but I like that he, he did have to, to get to that two minutes, he did have to deeply play the game. Like he had to come up with like, these are all the things I need to see. These are the these are the words that are going to get me there. Like, yeah, the, the, that two minute speed run took a lot more. So yeah. he did get it. Yeah, he made a spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he got it and then shit all over it. Yeah, it's uh, it's so weird because the thing that movie people are, are very surprised by is when I explain the streaming thing. And obviously, like if you're playing, I don't know Fortnite, <laughs> it makes sense, right? It's like it's like watching televised sport or something. But when I explain that in video games, someone can just play your game, and, and it's not even like shitty filmed with their phone. It's like no, they they stick in a special yeah. capture device. They're capturing pristine quality, and they're going to upload a ten hour playthrough of your game. On, on the internet and 5 million people might watch it and be like, dude, that was great. Love, <laughs> love your show. Like this was the coolest thing. And they're like, so, but how much money did you get for that? And you're like, nothing. No. Like I get zero. And they're like, but don't you like do copyright strikes or whatever? And I'm like, no, I'm like, no, we, I'm like, this just happened. Like this evolved so that this is how things are done. And if anybody tries to screw with it, then you're evil, which is understandable. But yeah, there's like a, there's like a weird, I don't know. There's an alternate universe where someone early on was like, "Hey, why don't we set it up so the devs get ten percent? Like, if we're streaming their game, we, we get this much. They get ten percent, just as a thing, like with radio, right? Play songs on the radio. You get a little bit of a few pennies thrown at you, whatever. Um, yeah. But it's a, it's a weird thing. You make these games, 
and and you know for me that that I you know try and make them so that they are incredibly intimate and personal so that people feel very immersed and involved in them and then someone's like here you go this is this is all the video clips <laughs> strung together for 10 hours boom you can just go watch it and you're like ah okay yeah but, but yeah they're not getting it and Sam, it's incredibly interesting hearing you talk about that because we always, I mean, we heard about pirating forever, but I've always been in the mind that like, you know, vloggers were doing advertising pretty much, but man. The the conversion, to use the, the technical term, is so minimal. Yeah, I believe. So minimal. Like it's the only time I've ever seen uh, a, a noticeable kind of like correlation was BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed had this series where they would get a professional to play a game about their profession, right? So if there's a bus driving game, get a bus driver. <laughs> Cooking mama, they get a chef to come play it. And they got a private eye to come play her story. Oh, um, And it was really funny because you, the, you watch the chat. Like he was like, oh, this is actually really like, yo, this is like what I do. This is really interesting. But he was not... He was not detecting the the mystery as fast as the audience wanted him to. So they're all there in the chat, like, dude, dude, you're missing this, like getting very mad with him. But and and so I don't know if it was like people watching that getting frustrated with him playing it. Well, like, I just want to play. I'm going to buy this game because yep. he's doing it all wrong. That that gave me a spike. But yeah, I mean, thing is, like, people most of the top streamers people watch them because they like the streamer, right? They like watching the streamer. They like being around them and you know so sometimes that can convert into people wanting to go play the games but a lot of times people just like seeing seeing that that people play and, and do silly things and um yeah i mean and there are certain types of games as well like you know i, th- I think mine is somewhere in between in that unless someone plays it exhaustively, I think the exciting thing is to see someone playing and be like, Oh, oh, oh I want to, I want to, I want to type in words or I want to click on things and yeah. I want to put these pieces together. Right. But you know, a game like uncharted or something, if you sit and watch someone play that for, from beginning to end for six hours, you don't need to go play. No, so. not at all. You're like, I've seen it. <laughs> right. And so that's, you know, it's, it's weird in the same way that, yeah, if you watch, if someone uploads a movie and you go watch it on YouTube, you don't need to go and see it in the theater unless, unless you're like, I need the cinematic spectacle. Which is me. But yeah. <laughs> Well, Sam. That's that's me when Jim Cameron says, oh, you God. have to go see Avatar again. Oh, Jim. I'm like, yes, Jim. Yes, Dad. We can't argue with, we can't argue with Dad. <laughs> he wins. Sam, I think you're um, incredibly interesting, and I, I need to hear more. Where can people follow you? Uh, they can, uh, best place would be Twitter, uh, where I am MR Sam Barlow, Mr. Sam Barlow on Twitter, um, which always confuses people. Everyone thinks that I'm a woman called Mrs. Am Barlow. Um, well, Sam- I don't know. It's one of those things where like you try to find your name and there were, there were already Sam Barlow's. <laughs> so I stuck the Mr. on the front and Dang. the rest is history. Dude. Um, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time out. I, I will definitely be harassing you to come back. There's so much. Yeah, I'm- well, we haven't talked about horror movies and I- all the other things we could talk about. 
Well, um, you know, we get a bunch of jerk offs on this show to talk about horror movies. I've never seen anybody expound about video games in such a intellectual, interesting, like just colorful way that you do. And um, yeah, you would think that his life centered around it. <laughs> hey, I'm telling you, go listen to more interviews of him. He's very well read and very well versed. Yeah, we talked sure to him for up. an hour. I know. Yeah. And film. Sam. Well, about 20 minutes. 40 of that was your filibuster. <laughs> but uh, we did. Okay. Sam, you're a fantastic man. Um, I love you. And we got to have you back on. Yeah, that's it. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overlook Hour. And if you would like to hear more, please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your podcatcher of choice is. And while you're there, go ahead and give us a rating and or a review, which is a very easy way for you to support this show uh, that we bring to you every week for years now, free of charge. And as always, you can find us on YouTube at The Overlook Theater, Instagram at The Overlook Theater, Facebook at The Overlook Hour, and Twitter at The Overlook Hour. Last but not least, you can send us your emails and tell us how much you like or dislike the show at overlookhour at gmail.com. And if you're nice, maybe we'll uh, read them on the show. I've been your engineer, Randy Stat. Please join me along with Clark, Russell, and Oksana again next time. Bye.